Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7-365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of Northwest Prime. I'm your host, Lori Ness. Our guest today, Francine Bryson, is the author of the best-selling Blue Ribbon Baking from a Redneck Kitchen Cookbook. She has won more than 200 local and national baking competitions and was a runner-up and crowd favorite on the CBS show, The American Baking Competition with Jack Fox. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy, you might have seen it. I know that I was a fan of that show, and that's how I came to know Francine. She is out with her latest cookbook, Country Cooking from a Redneck Kitchen, that I have out. Uh, I have a copy of. I also have the baking, Blue Ribbon Baking from a Redneck Kitchen. I love that cookbook, and I love the country cooking just as equally. So we're going to bring Francine on, and we're going to talk to her about this new cookbook. She had such tremendous success with her first cookbook, and Country Cooking from a Redneck Kitchen really covers all aspects of, of country life. So we're going to talk with her about that. I'm going to bring her on. We're going to have a nice chat with Francine. First, we're going to listen to I Want a Truck from Aston Prater, P-R-A-T-E-R, an up-and-coming southern uh, girl singing, and she's been on the radio quite a bit here lately, and you're going to maybe know that name, Aston Prater. This is her I Want a Truck, and I'll be right back with Francine. I 
the truck, and that's Country Cooking, and we are thrilled to have Francine Bryson back on the show. She was on the show with her best-selling cookbook, uh, Blue Ribbon Baking from a Redneck Kitchen, and she's back out with her new hit cookbook. I just looked it up on the charts. It's doing very, very well, Country Cooking from a Redneck Kitchen. So thanks, Francine, for coming back on. Thanks for having me. Listen, you, you had such a success with your first cookbook right out of the gate, and was it a little um, awkward maybe to be thinking about another cookbook, or did you already have all kinds of ideas floating around your head? I, I pretty much had it in my head. I, I decided when I was like six years old that I wanted to spend my life writing cookbooks, and it's not as easy to get into as a lot of people think. You don't write a book and submit it and things like that. You actually have to be asked to write cookbooks. And that's pretty cool. And, and I got asked, and I got lucky and got the first one, and it did so well. They wanted a second one, so we pushed out the second one. And it's 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 pretty cool. The, the second, I'm really proud of the second one. The first one's all baking, so and that's what I'm mm-hmm. about, so baking. But the second one is everybody's like, oh, we want your real food. What do you really cook? And I'm like, okay, if y'all ready for it, I'll do it. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to talk about kind of how you got started because you got started in baking competitions at, at like 16. Is is that right? Right. Yeah. I, but actually my first forte in the competitive cooking was um, the apricot stuffed pork loin that's in the second book. It was a savory competition and I didn't start baking competitions till about two years after that but um when I when I started it was like a windstorm I just I didn't stop well would you recommend that to young cooks now that, that, that maybe they should because we're, we're coming up on when there's going to be a lot of state fairs and a lot of fairs going right. on locally for people is, is that really a, a good way for young cooks to kind of get into the uh uh, baking competition or improve their skills? I, I would. It really, honestly, if nothing else, it teaches you It teaches you to lose because I've not win everything. I've, I've lost quite a bit. It also teaches you to hone your craft. And if you've got the passion to get out there and bake and, and you know, perfect your signature and what you do, it gives you a chance to hone your craft and you get, like, when I'm working on a recipe, I've always got the opinions of my family and my friends, but they're always so nice. And then when total strangers are tasting your food, it's a whole different aspect. So you get to hone mm-hmm. your craft and, and figure out what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, what you need to fix, what doesn't need to be fixed. And I think it's a great forte for anybody that actually has a competitive spirit and wants to spread their wings a little bit and do something, you know, out of the normal. I think it's fun. I, you know, I love I, it. I, I I, I think that's a good idea, like how musicians do open mics or comedians do open mics or actors do plays. Right. I, I think that's a really great thing to uh, to, to put it that way for uh, for young cooks to hone their craft through that medium. Um, I, I think that's a, a very wise um, advice that, that you just gave there. What I really love about country cooking from a redneck kitchen, because I am a girl who grew up with southern parents and grandparents, and, and a lot of these recipes were very near and dear to my heart, something mm-hmm. that I really loved that I thought set this cookbook out apart from many others is that I didn't really grow up with seafood in my diet from uh, mm-hmm. from where I came from in, in Tennessee. But you have this Floridian mm-hmm. influence, and and yes. I love seafood now as an adult. And I was probably a teenager before I had you know really <laughs> seafood introduced in my diet. And I think that's so lovely that 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 your influence came in that and you threaded that throughout the book as well as how to incorporate right. things that, that we love besides catfish, which which everybody is raised on. But you also have these wonderful <laughs> staples of, uh, you know, uh, of of seafood introduced to, throughout your, mm-hmm. your cookbook. Well, I I love seafood. I mean, I love fried chicken and biscuits like every Southerner does. But And I think that's in our DNA. You can't get around it. <laughs> but I think the seafood thing was I was introduced to seafood way before I had moved to Florida. My parents moved me to Florida when I was 11 under duress because I didn't want to go. And um, I was introduced to – and literally the first seafood I ever ate was boiled shrimp. I love – to this day, I love boiled shrimp. And – 
that's that I would go on sprees where that would be all I'd eat was was boiled shrimp, and then I moved to Florida and I realized there's a whole ocean of stuff out there because there's crab and grouper and flounder and mullet and catfish coming out of the river and and the lakes and it's a freshwater fish, but it's still my favorite. I still love catfish, but um, all the different things that come out of the ocean, there is, you could sustain a, a whole country with just what comes out of the water. And my thing is, I'm so adventurous in food. I try every. I'm not scared of anything. I've eat everything from bugs and chocolate covered crickets to, you know, caviar. I've. I'm not scared to try anything. I might not like it. But I'm not scared to try it, and I think that's one of the great things about not only you know southern food or country cooking. We're not really too scared of any ingredient, and our thing is is we keep it all close to home and we keep it simple and it's easy to understand. And there's not a you know there's not 50 different ingredients to go into one pot, and you don't have to search the countryside to find those ingredients. So I, I think that's one of the cool things about it. But seafood is. So good, and and I feel so bad for the people that had the allergies because I have some friends that's like, oh, I can't eat shellfish and I can't eat this. And I'm like, I feel so bad for them. I really do. So me too, because I love it so much. And I, I was so happy to see that the crab souffle and the shrimp and grits and mm-hmm. and those type of things that were were included in this cookbook, I thought was fantastic. But but then it also goes right into the redneck kitchen with the squirrel pot pie. So if anyone's looking for a, a good squirrel pot pie recipe, we got it for you right here in the country cooking from a redneck. It doesn't get any more redneck than that. Well, you can, and I don't want to scare people. I don't want them to read this recipe and go, oh, I'm not going to kill a squirrel. I'm not going to get a squirrel. You can put chicken in there instead. You know, just you should, just use chicken, or you you can use rabbit. You can use anything. But we're hunters. We've always been hunters. We've always been fishermen. And I mean, there's a lot of times if I did not know how to hunt, I would not have had meat on the table for my family. And I think there's a lot of people like that that have lived that way for. Well, I mean, we're eating organic way before it was trendy. So mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely. To me, it's not a big deal, but other people, they're like shocked. Oh my God, you eat squirrel? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, especially I, I don't know. Um, I, I I can only speak for my family, who's from Tennessee, and and I remember mm-hmm. my cousins as a little girl. You know, I remember them going out with their um, squirrel rifles, you know, their little pistol type of thing, right. and they would go squirrel hunting, and, and, I, and I remember that. It was, it was absolutely no big deal, and uh, I remember right. stories growing up that my, my uh, great-grandparents had a farm in Clinton, Tennessee, and, and they never went hungry during the Depression, and when people were coming right. from different areas and passing through Clinton, um, they would stop, and they would feed them at the farm, and they would pack them up some food, mm-hmm. and they would go on about you know looking for work from that point but the people who were on farms they not only sustained themselves and their families really for generations but but all kinds Mm -hmm. of people passing through and it was kind of this way of life that you're really passing on even to this day through your cookbook yeah well it was i mean i I grew up with i mean my great-grandmother lived through the depression my granny lived through the depression and I grew up listening to the stories about how you could only get so much sugar a week and so much milk a week and everything. And after my great-grandmother passed, when we were cleaning out her house and having to pack stuff up and everybody in the family was like, well, I want this dish or I want that pot or, you know, that table. We actually found um, the old bags of flour and sugar from the Depression. And we even found ration tickets that my great-grandmother had saved. She was a hoarder, and, and I get it in the DNA. I'm the same way. <laughs> But um, she had saved ration tickets from the Depression for sugar and milk and tea and coffee and things like that. And it really brought it home to me how lucky I was to where I could just open the refrigerator and there's food in there. And I didn't have to worry about that. But it, it brought it home to me, even as a young person, that, you know, not everybody is this lucky. Not everybody has a lifestyle where they can just open the refrigerator and there's, you know, full shelves of food in there. And you have to actually work hard, and, and you can only get certain things. So to me, it was like being taught to live off land and being taught to eat what we shoot or eat what we catch and then make meals out of it or just make meals out of what you already had on hand was just normal everyday life. And I think that was pretty cool, and I think it made me appreciate stuff a little more. 
than just, you know, being mm-hmm. able to go to the grocery store and get 10 pounds of hamburger and, you know, make spaghetti or whatever. But, um, I, you know, I, I honestly think if, if people would slow down, and, and it's almost impossible to slow down in the life that we have now because everybody's so busy, everything's so technical. But if we slowed down and looked at everything we're eating now and where it came from, there's history behind every type of food that you're eating. It started somewhere. There's a story behind it. There's history behind it. And that's what I want to do with the book. I want to every, bring everybody back home and to the comforts of the yep. of the table. Absolutely. There's so much history and stories that go into these recipes. And these stories mm-hmm. and recipes are being lost and dying off. And that's they where, are. when you kind of collect them up and put them in a book, then I can go through. <laughs> and you talk about your Nana in, in the book. And and uh and it reminds me of my Nana and what she used to cook. And there were so many things that I forgot about as a child that mm-hmm. were, I, I guess, just an everyday day type of uh, thing. And, and I forgot about them because nobody's making mm-hmm. them in my house anymore, the Watergate yeah. salad. I grew up with that all the time, and I totally <laughs> forgot about it until I saw it. The devil ham dip. I mean, that was good eating in our house. Um, if, if they oh, made yeah. devil ham dip, somebody was coming to visit. And I completely forgot about that. So all of that warmth and that love really for my family, I reconnected mm-hmm. with just, just to this cookbook. And, and you talking about right. your family and, 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 <laughs> and these recipes and why they made a, a difference in your life and, and cooking for the creature. And, and that, that was a right. big deal, which I, I, I have to say, more people should cook for their creatures these days. They do a lot <laughs> of great work out there. And I think that they should be invited to more dinners. And you have a whole chapter yeah. on that. Yeah, and and that was, I mean, that was a big thing. Growing up, there was, I mean, we was always involved in in the church, and and my daddy was a deacon, my uncle was the preacher, and it was it was always a, a big deal, and there was always, and and that's one of the cool things about my mom and dad, there was always somebody coming to our house. There was always somebody coming over, so Mama was always cooking for other people than just us. So I grew up surrounded by people, and I saw everybody live like that. And then I grew up and started raising my my family and everything and realized that, you know, I don't have the people coming to my house the way my mama did. But it's I think, you know, the family gathering thing is, is something that we all need to, you know, like the Italians do it. And, you know, they have these mm-hmm. massive families and stuff, and, and my family has all, you know, died off, and my family's the last of it. I've got like two or three cousins on my daddy's side still, but... I think it's a lost art, and the cool thing about these recipes is I wanted to bring what I grew up with and simplify it to where it's not intimidating because I know watching my grandmother stay in the kitchen all day long to prepare a meal, I was like, I ain't got time to do that. You got kids, and you got, you know, <laughs> right. jobs, jobs and everything you've got stuff to do, and it just it sucks up so much of your time. And I was like, no, I've got to, I've got to bring them back and, and simplify it to the point they enjoy this, and it makes memories for them. So their kids are going to take the memories that they had of their grandmothers and their parents from what this is. And, and that's one of the things I wanted to do because those are, those are things that we should never lose is the memories of what we grew up with, no matter where you grew up, whether it's north, south, east, or west. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, and that was really something that, that this did personally. My husband is the cook in our family, and um, he just really enjoys it, and now he's retired, so he's cooking all the time, and I'm gaining weight, and, and I need to be having more people <laughs> in my house because I can't consume the amount of food that he's eating, but he he grabbed the cookbook right away because it's right up, you know, I mean, he just, that's his thing, and he, he, he started marking it up before I could get to it, and he had oh, Lord. right away the um, upside-down uh, apple bacon pie. He loved that. That's <laughs> going to be being made very soon. He just, you I mean, he would have married you at just, just on that <laughs> right there. He was so thrilled with that. He was, uh, I was on the phone talking to my mom, and he ran over and he showed me that picture and that recipe was pointing to it while I was on the phone. He just made his day. I mean, if, if, if he was to die a happy man. <laughs> He would just be, I think, an upside-down bacon apple pie, or apple bacon pie. That's a version of, in the first book, there's a a national pie winner, and it's the upside-down apple pecan pie. And um, everybody knows me because of the chocolate bacon pie from the first book and from the American Bacon Competition. 
and every and, and this is what's so weird. Everybody thinks I eat bacon every day. Oh, she all she eats <laughs> is bacon. That's all she eats. I'm like, no, I don't. My cholesterol couldn't handle it. But um, and we are. I mean, even though we like fried chicken, biscuits, and gravy, we are health conscious. So we don't, you know, eat heavy laying foods every day of the week. But um, I did that pie, and I was like. I was in the kitchen messing around and weaving the bacon, and my husband said, are you making meatloaf? Because I wrap my meatloaf in weed bacon. I said, no, I'm making a pie. He went, what? I said, yes, I'm, I'm going to do the <laughs> apple pie, but do it with bacon instead of pecans. And he goes, okay, let's see how this one works. And it worked, and he was like, you're a genius. And, and that was, uh-huh. I mean, I called my husband through food. And any single woman out there, if you want to catch you a good husband, learn to cook, because that will catch you a good husband. <laughs> So that is true because how I met my husband law, I mean, not how I met him, but when I first had him over to my apartment, I made him a pot roast, and I had no idea how to make a pot roast. And back then, they didn't have cell phones. We've been married for 30 years. And I called my mother, and she walked me through making that pot roast for mm-hmm. hours on the phone. That pot roast probably cost me $100. Um, and I made it for him, <laughs> and he thought I knew how to cook. In a car- <laughs> Poor guy. Uh-oh. And, um, and so, so he just he still talks about that pot roast to this day. I don't think I ever made another <laughs> one after that. But uh, um, I will tell you when they say the way to, you know, man's heart is through his stomach. I really did get his attention on that day. But uh, it worked out oh. for me that he also loved to cook, and he was able to step in there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I I caught mine with fried chicken and black eyed cob or black um blackberry cobbler is how I caught mine. But it just I mean, and and I think that's the southern thing too. Is us us women know that you know you got to cook for that man, whether it's good or not, yes. you got to cook for him. But um and and it's pretty cool that uh, you know more husbands are in the kitchen cooking now, and mine don't. I'm allowed to because he makes such a mess. It's just not worth it. But um I, I keep him. They do make a huge out of this, mess. They do. I don't know why they make such a mess, but they do, and and they're proud of what they do. So it's you know, pat them on the back, and oh, you did good, baby. Move, let me clean up now. But um, we know the old adage, you know, uh, the the higher a woman's hair, the closer she is to God. I think that men think the more of a mess they make in the kitchen, like the the better the food's gonna taste. I think so too. (laughs) And 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 I'm one of those big hair girls, and I, I love my big hair, and and. My husband, he's like, you spend more in hair products than we do in light bills. I'm like, well, yeah. So <laughs> the big hair, honey, you got to have it. <laughs> well, that's why this is, is so well-rounded because it, it goes from, from the things from uh, like the deviled ham dip to the squirrel pot mm-hmm. pie to the crab souffle to the upside-down bacon mm-hmm. or apple bacon pie. You have this wonderful pumpkin curry soup. I cannot wait to try that mm-hmm. because I've only had it once in a restaurant. It's fantastic. And mm-hmm. yours looks so, so good. I didn't even know, like, somebody could make it outside of a restaurant. But that's definitely <laughs> starred. <laughs> I'm like, it's really? So Real simple. people can make this? Yes. And it's so <laughs> it simple. And, and that's, it is so good. It's, it's one of my husband's favorite things. And I have a friend of mine, and his name is Jamarcus, and he is actually the host of the local TV show that I do segments on. And every time I have to do a segment, the first thing before anything, she says, can you do a segment Friday? I'm like, sure. And he says, can you make that soup? I'm like, no. Please can you make I mean, every time he wants that soup. But it's, um, I love curry. I love the taste of curry. And um, I love the flavor of curry in other things besides just plain, you know, chicken curry on rice or, you know, something or rotan or something like that. I love that flavor and it, that, that spice. And, and I want it in other venues than just in you know like if I was going to a Middle Eastern restaurant or a curry restaurant or something I want to bring it and there's no reason why you can't have other influences from other nationalities and other countries and other you know flavor aspects and that's that's the cool thing about food you know whether it's simple or difficult or you know make it your own put what you want in there because I mean I've eaten squash soup all my life and I love it but it wasn't really as good as I thought it could be until I put curry with it and use heavy cream instead of milk. So, and and that's the cool thing about these recipes. These recipes are are I've designed them to where they're old staples to convenient that day products. But if there's something in there you don't like, it'll work if you take it out. Or if you want something in there that's not in there, put it in there. It'll still work. They're adaptable, and that's what flavors and food and everything should be. It should be adaptable. 
Well, and I, I think as home cooks, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. We don't want to really think mm-hmm. outside the box. We don't really want to experiment yeah. because normally we're not cooking till someone's coming, and then we don't want to mess that up. And that's right. been the great thing with really both of your cookbooks is that your personality really comes through <laughs> where you let us be able to maybe experiment, not take ourselves so seriously, and you weave right. in these little you know, testimonials, you know, that, that, that you had on, on your own personal um, experiences mm-hmm. and with your family. And, and there's just such a good spirit about it that it just encourages right. us, I think, to, to be fun like you when, when we're in the kitchen. <laughs> well, food should be fun. And, and my thing is, is I've had a lot of failures. I've had a lot of trial and error and, and I've learned what I can do and I've learned what I can't do and, and things that I, I know I can't do. I'm going to do it or die trying is what my daddy would say. It, you know, it didn't matter what it was. I was whether getting out in the mud and getting stuck in a truck or, you know, making a 15-course meal for people. I was always willing and, and wanting to reach that level that I didn't think I could get to or that I did I knew I wasn't at yet. And keeping it fun at, at the same time because it shouldn't be stressful. I mean, even trying to impress people, I'm like, oh, I don't like that. That's not going to impress them. My husband, I go, oh, it's good. Just shut up. We'll eat it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but, you know, and it is a pressure thing. We all do that. And I think we do it with everything from our jobs to the way we keep our yards, the way we keep our house, to the food or the clothes that we wear. And I think we're, I think people are putting way too much pressure on themselves to get through life. And, and this is sort of, this cookbook is sort of laid back, and, and, and that's what a lot of people like. Well, you know, redneck's a derogatory term, and you should say, no, it's not. It's a lifestyle. It's laid back. It's take things as it comes. Just let things happen. You know, let let things flow. And that's the way we live. I'm just like, I'm not going to get in a hurry. Even if I'm late for a plane, I'm like, there's another one. I'll get the other one. Yeah. It's just, you know, life is too short not to enjoy every minute of it. And when you're stressing yourself out about stuff, you're not enjoying it. And you shouldn't. Well, yeah, you know, redneck was never, um, to me, growing up with with uh, both sides of my family from deep East Tennessee, deep East Tennessee roots. Um, if anyone was going to be called something derogatory in that way, it would probably offend them. But they never had ever, um, I, I just never grew up with redneck being, for us, a, yeah, a, a I didn't derogatory either. term. So it, it, it's funny to, to hear people, you know, say, say that for us, you know, just like how you're yeah. trying to explain it now. It's not a derogatory term, or it wasn't. <laughs> Um, back back when we were now a derogatory term for us back in those days were um, you didn't want to be an Ike. I don't even know what an Ike is, but I had no idea. We would whenever we would come home from church and our bikes were laying outside, my parents would say, "We look like a bunch of Ikes live here." And like, who are these Ike people? I do not know who they are. I've never met them. I've never seen them, and I don't even know that they exist. But my parents would say. We look like a bunch of Ikes if, if we had our bikes laying all over the yard or anything. And I really, I've never met another Ike. I don't know who they were. I think my parents I have. Up. I've never heard that. <laughs> we got called hoodlums. If we late, like, instead of, this was my mama's biggest pet thieves is, I grew up before cell phones and computers. It was when you actually got out of the house and rode the bikes and went out and neighbors, kids, and everybody played but my, if I, we would lay our bikes down in the front yard, Mama would have a hissy fit. She's like, the kickstand is there for a reason. And she'd say, you're making us look like a bunch of hoodlums. Looks like hoodlums live here. And I'm like, what's a hoodlum? <laughs> well, it must be right next to the ice because that's – and then something about bikes. It must be. It, it, it I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It was it was crazy. Every bike I had, my mom was like pick, go pick that thing, up. and she would make us get up from the dinner table and go pick them up, and put them on a kickstand. Yeah. I'm like, it's too much trouble. Just lay it down. It ain't hurting nobody. But we look like hoodlums. Go pick it up. You like a hoodlum. <laughs> exactly. It was never like you look like a redneck. You always look like maybe a hoodlum or a or a, or a Nike, but it was never a redneck. So as as someone no. you know from from a family from the south, I I would never even think of the redneck being a, a derogatory term. I it, just like you said, yeah. I I believe it's it, it's a way of life and it's a it's a yeah. working people's way of life. And really, yeah. that's where redneck came from. So uh, well, I mean, and people, people don't realize that it was. 
Yeah, I mean, it was the farmers that were plowing the fields all day, and their necks would get sunburns, and they were called rednecks. But when I got older and started traveling, and people were, was like, you know, why do you call yourself redneck? That's some hee-haw people, ain't it? I'm like, well, them hee-haw people's kind of cool. I mean, I <laughs> love to live in Cornfield County. <laughs> I absolutely love oh, to. Oh, that was a big show at my house. We never met oh, yeah. hee-haw. That, that, that was doing oh. at our house. Every Saturday night at 7 o'clock, I would sit on the floor, and mom, we'd watch Hee Haw, and my mom would roll my hair for church the next day. And I knew that mm-hmm. was that was bonding time for her to pull my hair out of my head and put it in those bristle rollers, and I'd get to watch Hee Haw. Right. But we, um, the, the cutest, man, my husband chased me for like a year before, you know, I'd even talked to him on the cell phone or something. And he sent me an email one day, and he says, well, give me your phone number. We can talk on the phone. And I says, well... My number's BR549, and then he emailed me back. He says, I'm not calling Junior Sample's car dealership. And I thought, okay, anybody that knows what BR549 right. means, that's the guy I need to be talking to. <laughs> and I'll it worked out. Him for the rest of his life. That's right. That's right. He's got my number. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, people really need to get this cookbook. There are fantastic barbecue sauces for ribs in there. There's cucumber salad. We're all planting gardens. But gardens have really made mm-hmm. a comeback. That used to be so out yes. and so, you know, kind of farmer type of looking. Um, and now mm-hmm. everyone's gone back to having gardens. And one yep. of the things that grows, other than zucchini, um, cucumbers grow really well. A lot of times you don't know what yes. all to do with them. Uh, and you have a great recipe for cucumber mm-hmm. salad in there that I think every home gardener should have. We eat that all summer long because it's tomatoes and cucumbers down here grow like wildfire. And you literally have so many, you, you can only make so many pickles. So right. you know, when you get done making pickles, you know, and we do, we eat it all summer long and it keeps, you put it in a mason jar, sticking for it, and we snack on it. So it's just, it's one of those things I grew up with. And I said, you know, I'm going to put it in the book. And the cool thing is there's like a thousand different versions of it and other people have put their spin on it. And that's, that's a cool thing. You know, I give you a basic and you run with it. And, and that's mm-hmm. what it's all about. And that's what I love doing. Well, it is really a fun, fun cookbook. I love all of the little stories that you have. I mean, people have got to buy it just to hear you talk about the bourbon coke and wings <laughs> recipe. That's just every little recipe has these wonderful stories, and they're not mm-hmm. long. They're just like a little paragraph, but it really sets the tone and sets the mood of to just have fun with it, like you were saying, not right. take it so seriously, kind of go with it, mm-hmm. enjoy the food, enjoy, enjoy your family. <laughs> And it just brought back so many memories for me. And, and we need people like you. We need books like this to help yeah. us remember and tap into our roots and and uh, and, and remember those those times that that are kind of waning at, at this point in this fast yeah. lifestyle that we're all in. Yeah, and and that's what like I just it's like I telling you I was running late getting back off the plane. I just got back from Jersey and New York, and you walk. On, you walk a block and up there and everybody, everybody's looking at the ground and nobody says, Hey, and nobody, you know, if you look at somebody and say, Hey, how are you doing? They look at you like you got an arm growing out your forehead. And I'm like, slow down, enjoy it. You're missing <laughs> the world around you. And I come home and it's just like, Oh, I can breathe now. And, and I understand hmm. the stress and I understand the fastness and everything. But to me, it's like, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to put grass back under my feet and get back to <laughs> where I come from. And it's it's really but I, I get it. I really do. I mean, I live that lifestyle. I live the stressfulness. I live the, the timelines and the and the deadlines and the you know, the catching the right plane and catching the right train and all that stuff. But I always love settling and coming home. <laughs> do you find when when you're out there that, that more people are trying to reconnect with, with their cooking roots that the
And it's, you know, it's not all about, you know, getting together on Sunday afternoon when nobody else got nothing to do. It's about getting together on, like, Tuesday night or, you know, a Thursday night over liver and onions or something like that. It's, I think there's a need out there for it, and I think people are wanting to try it more and more, and I think they should. And it's like, you know, oh, i got to go to the gym. Well, skip the gym and go home and cook and go to the gym mm-hmm. tomorrow. So, I mean, that's just – I think there's a need for it out there, and I'm glad to see it out there. I'm glad to see people more interested in, in coming back home and settling and, and down and, and slowing down and enjoying it more. And I, I think I think everybody's going to live longer when you're not so stressed out and you're not in such a hurry all the time. Because I think that stress actually wears you down. So it does. That's why I like living out in the – it does. It really does. And, and with the doctors and everything's so scary now and you can't go outside or you'll get this or you'll catch that. And I think the the or people going organic and the gluten free and I understand there's there's people out there that have to be gluten free and stuff. But I think actually paying attention to what you're cooking with and what you're using or growing your own vegetables or, you know, things like that, I think that makes your body a better vessel because it's is you know what's going into it. You don't have to you're not buying chickenzilla and wondering what that chicken was raised on. So I, I think it's actually a need out there, and I'm I'm glad to see it. I really am. I and mean, I grew up like that. So, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I never thought anything about it till I got grown raising my own kids. So, I mean, you – Well, and, and, the, and they really say that socialization, true socialization, being with people, is such a cure for depression and stress yeah. and a, a lot of other things. And, and, and when you're with your family and your friends and you're cooking and you're breaking bread and you're having a meal and you're laughing over the table, and I, I, I think mm-hmm. it, it was uh, – I believe it was Mario Batali. He was saying that uh, he never rushes to clear – the food off of the table because he wants people to right. sit around and pick at it and just talk and, and stay for hours and have fun. And, and I was always exactly. one of those people who were kind of rushing to clear people's plates out of the way. And, and I, yeah. I tried to start adapting kind of that. And I've noticed that people just kind of kick their chairs back and they will, they'll kind of pick yeah. things and things will just start happening. And, and it's so fun. <laughs> and, and that's exactly the thing that, 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 that you're talking about as well. And yeah. that, that group, that village, that, you know, tribe kind of mentality that can only happen mm-hmm. um, through, you know, cooking and having people over and socializing right. and, and getting to know your neighbor and getting to know your own family. And those things right. passed down to your children is invaluable because well, you and I were talking about kind of the memories that we have as children. Mm-hmm. That we, we thought everybody was like that and come to find out not a lot of people were like that. And right. we were, you know, it's really great if our children had that as well. Yeah, that's what I thought because, I mean, even when I was young and my dad would, you know, we would travel around on vacation and we'd go other places. And I thought everybody lived like we did. I really did. Mm-hmm. And then we got outside of our own area and I realized not everybody lives like us and not everybody's mm-hmm. enjoying, you know, life the way we are. And it's like the doctor says, you know, what is it, five minutes of laughing a day adds seven years to your life? and. Mm-hmm. I, I think it does. I figured I'm gonna live to be 380 years old. So <laughs> it, every, it just you just need to enjoy it more. And just because you didn't grow up that way doesn't mean that you can't start living that way today, and that you can't implement exactly. new traditions and start new traditions into your family. Exactly, because I mean you got to look at it. You know, our parents looked at us like we were the future. And now we look at our kids like they are the future, and then our kids will look at their kids as the future. And if we're sending these traditions on with every generation, it's only going to grow and get better and better and better. And I think that's a really cool thing. Me too. Me too. I'm so happy that you wrote this cookbook. Because it's, it's, I'm sure it just doesn't have meaning for me, but it has meaning for so many other people. And it's so relevant to today. And you've updated these things. You've, you've Everything from seafood to curry to sauces to um, to dips and things to do with chicken and squirrel and, and mm-hmm. bacon and all, all those wonderful things. It's such you know a really great gift. And, and we're coming up on you know, graduation. I always think cookbooks are a really great thing to to give to somebody at graduation too mm-hmm. to start as you know in their own apartments or as they're moving out and mm-hmm. starting their their whole you know their their new life to to take something like this with them so i think cookbooks are always a 
one of the best gift ideas. I've never gone yeah. from giving a cookbook as a gift ever. It's always been really appreciated. That's the, I've always when I got married and they're doing bridal showers and stuff. I'm like, give me cookbooks. That's that's what I want is mm-hmm. cookbooks. I want to see what's out there in the world and and I have a massive collection of cookbooks and I read them like novels. So when it comes to writing them, I actually wanted to write something that people could connect to and somebody some that they could you know get in with it and you know like get their feet wet and and understand it and grip onto it. I didn't want to, you know, write one that was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's good, all right. I wanted to excite people, and I, and I think that's what this does. And and I kept it close to home and and close to true to who I am and and everything. And I didn't want to go. And it's like I told my editor, she's like, "Won't you try this?" I'm like, "No, because that's not me. I'm I'm not gonna mm-hmm. I'm not gonna do something or put something out there that I wouldn't back a hundred percent." And that's you know, both of my books is a hundred percent me. And and I like it that way, and and I'm on I'm gonna keep doing it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the truth is, there's a little redneck in everybody. I think there is. We just gotta let it come out and shine. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, I agree. Well, this book is available now. You can go to Amazon and you can order. If you have Prime, it'll be here in two days, and you can be cooking by the weekend. So I encourage really everybody to go to your local bookstore, ask for it by name. You can go to Francine's website, too, which is FrancineBryson.com. We have the links up and and, Mm -hmm. and get to know her better through her website and, you know, order it and support it and give it as a gift. And, Francine, I really appreciate you coming on. It's always great to talk to you. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. (laughs) No problem. Well, I'm going to give this cookbook back to my husband and he's going to make me some really great things. I know that he will and I'm going to make the pumpkin curry soup and I'm going to try to cook for him too as well and that if if I can get him out of the kitchen but I'm usually so tired from cleaning up his mess but but I'm going to give this back to him and I know that he's already on to the blueberry barbecue sauce and I saw him making notes on that the other day. It's, it's, It's rib smoking season and so he's I'm looking for mm-hmm. a lot of good sauces, as I'm sure many, many people are. So thanks, Francine, for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. And best of luck. I, mean, I know this is going to be a hit. It's already a hit. And uh, I know that people will love your book as much as they love you. All right. You have a good day. Thanks. You too. Right, Bye-bye. Bye. The name of that book is Country Cooking from a Redneck Kitchen, Francine Bryson. You may remember Jeff Foxworthy was the host of the uh, Great American Baking Competition. He does that whole, you might be a redneck if. And so this really fits in. Uh, Francine was a runner-up in that competition. You might have seen it on CBS. And her last cookbook was a success. This one is fantastic. I really encourage it for you, your husband, or your significant other, and absolutely to give it as a gift. So you can find more at FrancineBryson.com. And thanks for joining us today.